Well, God's here. And I'm so excited because I really feel like God wants to move tonight. So I'm not going to speak for too long because I want us to put into practice what we hear. And I think that that's really important. So can we pray together? Father, I just thank you that you really are here. And Holy Spirit, you know that I can't say what you need to reveal. So Holy Spirit, I need you. Would you come and would you take these words and would you speak through them? And Father, would people find freedom tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there has been three occasions in my life where I have had a particularly um, spiritual dream. It's not an ordinary dream. It's not like slightly weird. I don't remember it in the morning. I just knew I had a slightly weird dream, dream. Um, But these have been, on three occasions, very much the work of the enemy. So the first one was probably nearly, I don't know, 25 years ago. But the last two have actually happened in the last 12 months. It's been an extraordinary season in my life. And how do I know it's the work of the enemy? Well, because he's very, very clearly and openly in the dream. And the level of fear in the dream is just next level. Because I've actually woken from both the dreams in the last two, two, uh, 12 months with a very, very highly elevated heart rate and dripping with sweat. But what has been most disturbing to me in my most recent dream was the absolute sense of inability to move or to say anything. I felt completely immobilised. So in this dream, the enemy is quite literally hunting me and I'm hiding under floor, clothes on the floor, not able to move, not able to speak as he closes in to kill me. Like I'm talking a vivid dream here and all I'm thinking is don't let him find me. I'm sure now that there's any psychiatrists in the room, you've got a couple of interesting case studies. (laughs) But in all seriousness, how do you respond to fear? Real fear. Like, honestly. Because I think there's two very opposite but equally disempowering responses the enemy wants to see in our lives in response to fear. The first is silence. Silence of sound. Silence of movement. Paralysis of heart and life. That's what so profoundly disturbed me in my dream. I felt completely and utterly unable to move or make any sound. And we see this in the Israelites' Uh, in the Israelite army, when they face Goliath, he shouts his challenge to them and blasphemes God. And for 40 days, the whole army does not move and does not respond. They are paralyzed 
by fear. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 11 it said, Saul and his men heard what Goliath said, but they were so frightened of Goliath that they couldn't do a thing. And this may be a very real response for you in certain areas of your life. Perhaps in a relationship or a work situation or as as a result of a trauma or loss. It could be your response to a fear of the future and what it holds. Fear has you stuck, neither able to move forward nor give voice to what you feel or what you need. The second disempowering response to fear is a scream. And this may not be the quintessential Alfred Hitchcock blood-curdling scream, but the scream that comes from your life and manifests as anger, addiction, bitterness, maybe social media ranting, sensitivity, emotional instability, attention seeking, controlling habits, blustering bravado, or Perhaps it could come out like activity or adrenaline seeking or work or materialism that tries to cover the fear. I think about the Pharisees and even Peter and Paul and we see a combination of these responses in their lives, particularly as they feared the change Jesus could bring to their lives and livelihoods. We certainly see this response from the silversmiths at Ephesus when Paul preaches the gospel and they fear that their livelihood and their goddess is going to be destroyed by the new religion in Acts chapter 19. It says this, It was during this time that a major incident occurred involving the way. An idol maker named Demetrius had a profitable business for himself and for others, making silver shrines for Artemis. Picture this, Demetrius calls a meeting of all the artisans who are similarly employed in idol making. Everyone in the idol industry comes together and he talks to them. Men, we're all colleagues in this fine line of work, we're making a good living, doing what we're doing, but we'd better wake up or we're all going to be broke. You've heard of this fellow Paul here in Ephesus. He's already convinced a large number of people to give up using idols. He tells them that our products are worthless and he's been doing this same kind of thing almost everywhere in Asia. It's bad enough that he's slandering our fine and honourable profession, but do you see where this will lead? If his lies catch on, the temple of Artemis itself will be called a fraud. The great goddess of our religion, the majestic deity who's revered here in Asia and around the world will be disgraced. The crowd goes wild with rage. They start chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Goes on, a whole mob comes together and they're in the, the, like the theatre It says, in rage voices are shouting on top of each other, some saying one thing, some saying something else. The crowd is completely out of control. Most people don't even know what caused the commotion in the first place. And they shout for two hours, 
great is Artemis of the Ephesian? A scream in response to fear. When I think about how I've responded to COVID over the past couple of years, there's certainly times where I can see a screaming response to fear from my life. And probably you can too. So what answers are there? As we talk about and are inspired by living fearlessly and having a courage culture, at some point, we not only have to identify where we have fear and how we are currently responding to that fear, but we have to move beyond inspiration to live fearlessly and actually take practical steps to build courage and strengthen fearlessness in our lives. So when I look at the word and I look into the word, I see something so powerful yet so simple and so available to us that before prayer, before confession of the word, before having any wisdom or counsel or podcast or devotion, this one thing has transformed my, transformed my fear over and over again. It's worship. Fearless, passionate, out loud praise. A shout when there's nothing to shout about. Out loud and long. Dance, jumping, unashamed, don't care what anyone thinks, arms raised, face lifted to heaven, even with tears streaming down my face and no answers at all. Absolute surrender and honour of the one who knows it all, holds it all and holds me despite me and my flaws and my failing. The one who is so worthy. Worship changes my posture, my position, my pursuit and my perspective every time. It looks fear in the face and it roars Jesus at the enemy. It changes my thoughts, my words, my emotions and my outlook if I let it. Because we have to have a revelation of worship. Consider this. It was... The one thing Satan wanted and was willing to give up heaven for. The one thing. And it's what he seeks to distort in all humanity. It's what he offered everything under his domain in exchange for from Jesus. He says to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms if you'll bow down and worship me. If it was not so important and not so powerful, then why would Satan so want it? 
In Exodus, seven times, God commands Moses to go to Pharaoh with these words. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they can worship me. God does not speak to Pharaoh of the promised land or leaving slavery. His command is that they would be set free to worship. The story of the Israelites leaving Egypt is an initial revelation of the work Jesus was to do for all of us on the cross. It paints a picture of the life God intends for his people. And it starts with worship as the first step of freedom from bondage, fear and oppression. Throughout the Bible, we see the power and the impact of worship. A shout brings down the walls of Jericho, breaking through a stronghold to lead a new generation into the promises of God in Joshua chapter 6. Praise ambushes an army too large to count, releasing blessing held by the enemy into the hands of God. When Jehoshaphat leads his people out with praise ahead of the army to face an army they couldn't count. Dance consolidates the freedom of God's people and declares the work of salvation as the Israelites get to the other side of the Red Sea and Miriam, as the prophet, leads them out to dance. Praise and dance define the heart of leadership and culture under David's rule. It reveals heart and soul honour and barrenness of life and thought. He brings the Ark of the Covenant into the centre of Jerusalem and he dances before the Ark with all his might and his wife looks down at him, embarrassing himself with praise. And David says to her, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. Worship sees and seeks the plan of God before there's a manifest move of God on earth. You think about the wise men. When did their journey start? Probably a couple of years before Jesus was born. They see his star rise. And they seek to worship. But they've been looking. They've been watching. They've been waiting. Because a worship heart sees what God's doing. Worship prepares the way for kingdom purpose. I think about Mary with her beautiful alabaster jar of perfume breaking it in worship over the feet of Jesus and that fragrance filling the house. 
and all those disciples indignant. I mean, who worships like that, right? But Jesus knows. And somehow in the spirit she knew she was preparing him for burial. Worship sees the kingdom. And worship is both the focused and the manifest response of all of heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, it says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes all over and within, underneath their wings, and day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Omnipotent, the Ruler of all, who was and who is and who is to come, the unchanging, eternal God. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanksgiving to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 hours, elders fall down before him and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they throw their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and because of your will they exist and were created and brought into being and this is what Satan sought And this is what he wants to take from us. There's a difference between head knowledge, heart revelation, and rubber hits the road, putting it into practice. There really is. We can come and we can, we can hear and we can walk out. last year I faced a situation that was to profoundly impact my life and that of my family. It was a devastating Friday night where some news make me, made me feel like my world was just crashing down. It's like being winded in the spirit and in your emotions. And I had no answers, only questions. And I didn't know what the future would really look like. Fear was real. On Saturday morning, I went to the place where I read my Bible and I sat in the quiet and I began to worship and I lifted my voice and I lifted my hands and I declared who my God is and has always been and will always be and I sang his praise and I made my body dance and I shouted his name. And while nothing changed, everything shifted. Because all that was black was now covered in light and all that was broken was now bathed in mercy and all that was barren was wrapped in his arms and I knew that I knew that I knew that no matter what happened, I had a hope and a future. And when Rebecca and Isaac lost their second baby and my heart was aching for them and the emotional and spiritual pain that Beck was experiencing, I said to her, I have no answers. 
and we may never have answers. But go and worship. Break the power of the enemy in this moment. And she did. She gathered her courage and defied every natural response and worshipped with all that was within her and the king of heaven met her. Because that's what happens. And I've heard Pastor Jack and Carol testify to the fear-breaking power of worship. And it took just a whisper of his name in the night to break the fear of a dream and send me back to sleep without a moment of restlessness. Fear will come. It will come to us all. And we can respond with silence or a scream. Or we can learn And apply the power of worship. Worship that is fierce. Not nice. And not comfortable. Worship that releases the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Worship that ambushes the enemy. Worship that holds nothing back but loves the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and with all our strength. Open, public, unashamed. Worship that stands in faith when there's not even words to pray. Worship that reveals God to a broken world and worship that establishes a courage culture in our church and in our lives and in generations to come. So we're going to put it into practice. I don't know where your life is at. And I don't know where you have fear. I don't know if it's relational. I don't know if it's about the future. I don't know if it's because of a trauma. I don't know if it's about somebody else. But we're going to put it into practice. This is not the time to be nice and it's not the time to be comfortable. This is the time to break walls and release the reliance of the tribe of Judah in your life and the lives of those you love. And maybe you feel like you don't have fear. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. So come shout for somebody who does. Amen. Amen. Thank you.